0: Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, thank you for tonight and for the story of Jephthah. It is, it's not a very good story. It has some entertaining value, I guess. There's not about this that is much to write home about, and yet it's in your Bible, Lord. And you keep giving us these examples in scripture that are just sometimes really horrible. And we found, Lord, in our journey and judges that we can, we can learn from these horrible examples, that they're so bad that they actually have some teaching value. And I pray that that's again tonight, Lord, what we're going to learn and how we're going to be challenged and encouraged and the good thing, Lord, it, doesn't, it never depends upon the skill of the teacher or even the, the, the ears of the, of the, the student, the Lord, but it's your Holy Spirit is at work. And we just pray, o, o Lord, that you work within us as we study this text and that it would be for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So welcome, everybody, those of us who are here live and in, in podcast land as well. Welcome. It's good to be able to teach with you. And uh, got everybody muted, no offense, given or taken, I hope. We just want to make sure that any extraneous noises are not there. Okay, <clears throat> we're going to be ending the Jephthah story tonight. And Jephthah is a, is a major judge. We'll have some minor judges at the end. The minor judges will actually conclude tonight. We'll have the final minor, minor judge tonight. But yeah, so we, uh, we have the judges cycle, which is all throughout the book of Judges. Israel's apostasy leads to Yahweh's anger. And then that leads to Yahweh's compassion, and that leads to Israel's apostasy all over again. You are welcome to read yourself into that cycle, because that cycle is also most people. In fact, many Christians who run away from God, call out to God, God responds, and then they run away from God again. That's not just Israel's story, that's most people's story, or at least many people's story. I know it's my story and that's something that I know is at least a great part of my story, which is why the book of Judges means a great deal to me. And which is why those of you listening to me teach, I think you like me because you know that, that I beat the tar out of my own self as I teach, because the word convicts me. I was joking around last week that as I was, as I was teaching, is it the last week or the week before, as I was teaching, I like counseled myself in the moment. I'm like, Oh my gosh. I'm reading this and I'm saying these words and I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm like crying on the inside going, oh, I needed to hear that. It's like, I said it and I needed to hear it. I'm just, it's just one of those things where it's like, wow, I, I really needed that because I know I'm a broken guy and I know that I have to stay humble and I have to stay like, I need to, I need to do it as, as, as John the Baptist says in Luke, to, to produce fruit in keeping with my repentance. My repentance ought to produce fruit. And so you can't get cocky when it comes to God. And yeah, so I just, I gotta lay that out there. I think that's why a number of you listening to me like me because I'm pretty real with myself. I don't let myself off the hook because I can't be let off the hook. I know my story. I know my issues. I know, and, and I don't know all of yours, but I, I, I can speak this text and I hope that it grabs a hold of you like it grabs a hold of me. And yeah, we got Jephthah tonight. As the text ended last week, he was about ready to go to war. The Ammonites were being bad guys again. Okay, we are in in Judges chapter 11. We ended with verse 28. Okay, so the Ammonites were being bad guys. Jephthah had this big, huge political negotiation or whatever, a letter back and forth with the king of Am- the Ammonites, and it didn't work out too well. Okay, we're, we're going to go to war, I guess. And so that leads us into tonight. So victory and tragedy, 29 to 40. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mitzpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. Now, by the way, this doesn't sound right. You just don't have a moment like that where, uh, you know, God's raising you up to go and deliver, and all of a sudden you're going to stop the action and make everything about you. We're going to get there in just a moment. But just a casual reading of this, you're going, what? You're going to make a vow? Serious? Okay, I got to keep going. Okay, and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If, oh, these ifs with God. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's. And I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Oh, no. Oh, no, Jephthah. We've all seen enough movies that know how this is going to work out. Oh, my goodness. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from Aurair to the vicinity of Menit, as far as abel Keramim. Thus, Israel subdued Ammon. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mitzpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter? Oh, ching, 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 ching. She's got timbrels. She's dancing with little castanet things, we think. Here she is, and she's having a moment. She was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, oh no, my daughter, you you, you have brought me down and I am devastated. Oh, what a jerk. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, "You' have given your word to the Lord. Do to me as you have promised, now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. but grant me this one request, she said, and our heart is breaking for her right now. Oh my goodness, Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends, because I will never marry. You may go, he said, and he let her go for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father. And he, and he did to her as he had vowed, and she was a virgin. From this comes the Israelite tradition, that each year the young women of Israel go out for four
1: days to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. Wow. Well, wow. Let's sink in with a wow for just one second. My goodness.
0: Well, while well, well, we, well, we let that sink in, Mick texts in every week, it seems, judges gives hope for broken people, and God didn't ask that of him. He didn't ask him to vow. That's right. None of this stuff, all this stuff that Jephthah's doing, even when he brings in God's name, at no point is God going, Well, okay, you know, you gave a vow, so I got to come through. And you know what? Now that I've come through, I'm just saying, you know, I, no, no, no. At no point is God going, I expect this, I expect this. Think about it for one second. There are deities, as it were that do expect it who are they literally every of the other gods or goddesses in that area
1: so what's Jephthah doing here he's treating the one and only God as if he's not holy and separate and different but he's really the same
0: no my goodness no well let's just kind of go through this a little bit we read it in in in, in total um, yeah treating God like a common idol yes yeah, right Mick that's what he's doing. And, and, and he's treating him like he's a God that needs to be, um, that needs to be manipulated. And I'll get what I, what I should be getting. And then I got to give up something to get that. It's kind of like spiritual capitalism or
1: something like that. I
0: don't know. But here, but I digress. What's the role of the spirit here? Um, we saw this with Gideon. The Holy Spirit came upon Gideon. But it didn't mean that Gideon was spiritual. I don't even like that word. But just that he was like a, a person of great faith. I had, a, I had an awkward phone call this week and it was, it was somebody who wanted to get involved with the church and with the, with the divorce care ministry and she is some kind of a coach and she just you know she seems like she does you know she helps people and she's trying to you know be a blessing to people and I, I was asking about her story and she said she has a, ma- a master's degree in, and I've never heard of this before. That's why I'm bringing it up, in spiritual psychology. And I'm like, okay, so you're like a spiritual person who, who likes psychology. No, no, no. It, it is a degree program, spiritual psychology. And she says, well, I'm like, where'd you get a degree like that? And I wasn't surprised when she said California. And that's about as political as I'm going to get.
1: <laughs> like, oh. It's just a like kind of degree of what is psychology? So we're packing. And it was like, okay,
0: as a biblical counselor, my goal is to, as I see your story and try to, I want to reframe it, reframe your issue and through the lens of scripture. And and, and I don't want, I don't want you to figure out what's the next step for you because she does. She wants to help people find the next step to do. And so she wants to help people to come up with that answer for themselves. And I'm thinking, my goodness, I know what kind of things I think of, and I know how I want to fix things. And I know it's the last thing I need, but a biblical counseling reframes it biblically and tries to say, okay, what does now God's word say about your situation? What does God expect for you to do? Not what you want to do. What does God expect you to do? And so it, it's, just a completely different thing. That's spirituality. Spirituality is just nebulous enough. It is just kind of hippy dippy enough where you just don't know what you're getting. The Holy Spirit comes upon Jephthah here. What's he doing? Does this mean Jephthah is all that in a bag of corn chips? Absolutely not. Jephthah, does it also mean that he's, he's a, that the spirit like dominates him and he has to do whatever the spirit wants? No, because he's gonna do things that God doesn't, you know, that disobey God as we're gonna see. What it does mean is God has empowered him. Exactly right, Mick, God's empowered him. And now Randy has a good question why wouldn't God step in like he did with Abraham in the sacrificing of the child? It's a great question. And the situation we're going to see is a little bit more unique, but yeah, I mean, God, God could have, but you know what? God didn't and God's really silent in all this story. And I don't like it when God's silent. I like it when God is like vocal and, and present and God is, he's, he's, I don't want to say God is laid back or God is just not active because that's not the way God works, but he's just not in the way He does other parts of the Bible, and
1: He's a little bit more than like Esther. Not there at all. Oh no, and yeah, Rachel asked, "I wonder who he thought would
0: come out first that he was okay with sacrificing? Probably an animal. We'll get there, and." And empowering him to do what God asked makes sense. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's empowering just like with Gideon, and later with Samson, the Holy Spirit is empowering a servant to accomplish the mission. Uh, what's the focus here? Um, yeah, verses 30 and 31 almost immediately after the spirit comes on Jephthah, he disrupts this great victory by performing a sacrifice um to make me victorious. It's like the focus isn't on God anymore, but on Jephthah. I mean, it's like, okay, God, you know. And Gideon was doing kind of those things too for a degree. But um, yeah, Rachel texts in, but with Abraham, God was the one making the over-the-top request in the first place. That, that's probably the big difference. It was all God. And God stepped in. He provided the lamb. And as my mom's famous for saying, that's like the narrative of the entire Bible at that point. That's the gospel in, in two sentences you know, God provided the lamb, there you go, and so that's it, I mean, that's that's the basic narrative of the entire Bible, the plan of history right there, salvation history, is, is who's going to dominate the story, is it going to be Jephthah, or is it going to be God, and uh, yeah, I don't know, um, ignorance or ne- negotiation next here, his negotiation skills are going to be declining, we have, uh, remember in the very beginning, he, he, he negotiated with this with the people who like, come be our leader, come be our leader. And he kind of puts some things on the table and then, and, and then, okay, you get those, be our leader. And so he, his negotiation was like hundred percent batting average. He was great. And then all of a sudden he negotiates with the King of Ammon. He's like sending, sending letters back and forth and he gets a negative response. Okay. That's at least a response. Um, but he's not, he's not batting a 1,000 anymore. He's really, really declining. So maybe he still thinks he's a good negotiator. So he starts to negotiate again, this time with God. He doesn't even get a response. God's just like, nope, I'm not even gonna talk. You know, We're not gonna play that game, but he, he, God just lets it all unfold. Um, yeah, yeah, Jephthah just attempts to manipulate his circumstances to his own advantage. Maybe he thinks he's so shrewd he can compel God to perform for him. Remember the trained God from last week? Maybe he thinks that, he can train, that God is like that, that performing seal. He's going to keep that ball bouncing on his nose or something. And that God's going to you know, do a backflip and get a treat. I don't know. Maybe he thinks he's too smart and he can get God figured out. And God, you're going to call me to do this? Well, guess what? Let me make sure I get my parting gift just in case it doesn't work out. I mean, it's uh, Jephthah's trying to manipulate God. Never a good place to be. Don't you ever be in that place either. You really need to look at your own prayer life. Is it a submissive prayer life or is it a manipulative prayer life? And that's, you know, are you a manipulator when it comes to God? You may not think you are, but are you? It's like, well, God, I've done this or I've thought this or I've put in this time, God. I've, I've given to the church or I've, done, I've, I've sacrificed. Are you a manipulator when it comes to God? Like You're now expecting something. Listen, my friends, we have received grace. If we got what we expected for our sin, we'd be six feet under the ground. The wages of sin is death. Everything else is grace. So it's like at no time are we just coming to God and like, all right, God, you know what? Time for me to get this. And we don't even do that with his promises. Like we don't want to be rude with God. It's like, well, God, I know you promised this, but I'm just not going to come with this weird manipulative expectations that just seek to really get something. Like it's about me getting something as opposed to you. Okay, I digress. We're just kind of bathing in Jephthah's manipulation here okay he's just kind of he's just he's 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 caught up in his own press like i'm this masterful negotiator and they came and found me and they they had to hire me back and you know here i am the great guy and and now maybe even my god will listen to me who knows maybe they were behind the scenes saying get god to do what you want want him to do you're our leader we're god's people get it figured out you're the mouthpiece talk to god ignorance and confusion yeah um the pagan world of the time, they manipulated their gods and goddesses, and Jephthah is no different. Um, he confuses, well, he's ignorant of God's law, that we just don't treat God that way. But also, he's, he confuses God with uh, God's pagan rivals. Um, Jephthah, to answer Rachel's question, Jephthah probably intended for an animal to come out. In the time animals slept inside, they had their own special room. Uh, they were, they, they they were many times, you know, they 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 were part of the inside of the house. Especially if you were in an area where, you know, you it was a, it was a win-win. You brought you brought your domesticated animals inside with you. Your house had a special extra part for your animals. Many people believe that that's where um, Mary and Joseph they they kind of. You know, they, they were, they were sleeping there. That's where the animal. So it wasn't like they were stuck out in like a, some kind of weird cave somewhere that many people believe they, they were actually in a dwelling, but the animal part of the dwelling, right? I'm, I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying many people believe that. And Jephthah had, at the time, they had dwellings that had animal enclosures in the dwelling. So much like if you've got a really, really good dog when you come home, that dog is right out front and center, wagging the tail, nose going crazy. You're, you coming home is the best possible thing in that animal's world. Jeff is probably thinking, which is sad, that you don't want to sacrifice something like that either, but Jeff is probably thinking, there's an animal that's going to come out to greet me or something like that. The last thing he's thinking of is his is, is daughter, the daughter, the only one he had. Because um, you know the pagan world sacrificed their children to the gods. And so now Jephthah is going to sacrifice his child to his God as if that's what God wants. Do you see how
1: weird and how like apostasy that is? You're not only treating God like,
0: like, his, like his rivals. He has no rival, but we're speaking here. Treating God like the other guys, but then expecting God to be happy about it by doing what the other guys expect, that is so messed up. That let that sink into you. Anytime you're you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, God's telling me to do this. And what that thing is is clearly
1: against scripture. Well, God's telling me to do it. Probably not. In fact, I, I'm gonna be a little more forceful than probably. Well,
0: God's telling me that I must get a divorce and I must do this. Um God hates divorce, for example. Well, God's telling me I must do this with regards to this. Okay, then let's go right back to the Bible and see what God has already said about that. Because if God disagrees, I go with the Bible versus your nebulous little dream or something like that. I'm sorry, I I don't mean to be rude. But a lot of people treat God that way, as if God's going to be impressed or you're making him happy by just doing things that you claim he said to do. And that's not even here. He's doing this. It's like this is all he has going on with the, 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 the rival gods and goddesses sacrifice children. And so maybe God's going to be happy with that. As opposed to immediately going, oh, crap, what can I do? There's got to be something I can do. Um, and this vow is rash. And it's just, it's just deplorable that he would want to. Yeah.
1: And we'll, and we'll get, we'll get there shortly. Um, Mick texted in.
0: Biblically speaking, there is no such thing as irreconcilable differences. Yeah. you can't just say, well, God said it this way. I believe in my ways. So you know what? We'll disagree or disagree. You're never going to, you're never going to honor God. If you treat him that way, we'll disagree or disagree. What are you saying? You're just gonna keep on doing your thing even when God says otherwise? No, that's just not that's, that's not, that's not how, that shows no evidence of progressive sanctification being a little bit more like Jesus of like of John the Baptist in John three. He must become greater. I must become less. Deny yourself, pick up your cross. It's like, we're constantly denying ourselves. The differences we have is like, okay, God, we disagree, but you're God and I'm not. So thy will be done and my will into the fireplace. doesn't matter. Okay. And that's not, that's not the image we're getting here from scripture, from Jephthah. So that's why Jephthah, he's teaching us, but kind of backhanded wise. Uh, yeah. Well, what's the tragedy here? Well, I wish he would have, I wish he would have believed his own words. If you look back uh, in the last thing he said, I believe it's in verse 27, the last thing he said to the king of the Ammonites Let Yahweh the judge decide the dispute this day between Israel and the Ammonites. That's a great line. Now, why didn't you do it? Jephthah, had you just followed your own stinking words, you wouldn't have to do some stupid vow. Let God be the judge and watch my God whip, whip you and your God. It's coming. All right? All right, fine. It's coming. But then right when it's about to come, we're going to stop and do a vow because I
1: don't really believe God's going to do it. Ah, oh, The greatest of tragedies. Well,
0: Jephthah is clearly not, a, we, we have to give Jephthah one thing. If we, if I can't be, as much as I want to just keep pounding on him, he wasn't expecting his daughter to walk out. I, I think he would have amended things. I wish, I wish his vow would have amended it. But he wasn't expecting his daughter to walk out the door first, okay, because he's not that kind of guy, at least at the beginning. We got to give him that. He wasn't expecting her to walk out. But, um, yeah, Uh, that poor girl. Her hopes and dreams are dashed at the rashness of her father. Sometimes the innocent suffer due to the sinful, selfish decisions of others. I've seen that over and over again in my life. I have been the sinful, selfish one. I know. I know when you make rash decisions and make really stupid decisions, it hurts people. I've seen it over and over again in my own life. You might've seen it in yours. Oh, That poor daughter. What really stinks about this story is Jephthah actually had a way out of this. This is where his ignorance literally killed him or killed his daughter in that case. Um, it was a sin to break a vow. You weren't allowed to break a vow. But God had a scenario just for stupid moments like this. It's how great our God is. In the law, you could redeem your vow. If your vow was really stupid, you could redeem it. You could be like, all right, God, I'm not going to break my vow. But I'm instead, I'm going to... Um, sacrifice. I forget exactly what you have to sacrifice. We have to sacrifice something and it gets you out of the vow because the vow was, you know, it was not, it was not well-made or there was something about it was horrible or you just, you realize, okay, man, this is terrible. He had a way out. He could have killed one of his animals in a sacrifice and gotten out of this vow. The point is, I don't want to break the vow. I'll, I'll still honor it with a sacrifice, but I'm not going to sacrifice my daughter, which I know because of what you told Noah about uh, the, the image of God being within the blood of a person. We don't we don't shed innocent we don't shed blood because the innocent. Okay, like Genesis nine. I mean, God is not about murder. We don't pour blood on God's altar. The drink offering is wine. It's not blood. And when you do pour the blood, you pour it around the altar, never on the altar, because God doesn't eat blood either. It's like, God, this isn't how God, this would have been a vow that he could have redeemed. You'll find this in Leviticus uh, 27, I believe. Uh, you can't break a vow that's numbers 30. Um, he could have redeemed his daughter, Leviticus 27, 1 to 8. Um, yeah, in fact, his, his type of vow, I believe in Deuteronomy 12, it's literally condemned. You're not allowed to sacrifice anybody like that. And so he had a way out. That's what makes this extra horrible and extra sad and extra tragic. And the irony here is Jephthah's vow turns him, he changes him from being a deliverer to an oppressor. Is Gilead really saved from a foreign oppressor? If the very salvation comes from the hands of one who would uh, be like a foreign oppressor, I mean, really is God really glorified the ends don't justify the means with God. God still expects you to be faithful to him, even if you're doing great things. Uh, God provided the victory, not because of his stupid vow, not because of Jephthah and his ridiculous vow. The very definition of rash, not the, you know, the itchy, scratchy thing you get on your arm, but like uh, uh, to describe an action, a rash action. Jetha's pictures in that dictionary, and we got to hurry before Webster's changes another dictionary meaning or something like that. What's rash? Jetha's rash. This vow is rash. It's unnecessary, unnecessary, unnecessary. Vows, and then the irony. The irony is that he's like Gideon. He was just a despot, and. It's like some people talk about Mussolini. Well, he got the trains running on time. No, he was Mussolini. He was a despot. There's nothing to write home about, about those guys. There's nothing to write home about, about even the good that is doing here. Oh, you know, I realize this all, this all stunk. But besides that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? You know, it's like you, you can't go there. I mean, <sighs> Vows versus Faith. Okay. One of the reasons why you like me teaching, let me me get some coffee. Hold on a second. It's a, uh, I think it's a breakfast blend tonight. You know, it's the irony, I just had dinner. I'm having a breakfast blend. It was whatever the, the K cup I grabbed was a breakfast blend. It's a little bit of light roast. Hold on a second. I am a hypocrite when it comes to vows. One of the most near and dear moments between me and God
1: involved a vow. And I look back at this with weird feelings. I'm not proud of
0: it. I don't use it as an example, but I was scared. And let me just, I won't go into all the details, but I'll just kind of give you the general things. I had a vow in my life. And to my credit, I don't even, I don't even want to say it to my credit, but I just know on my end, I've kept my end And I know what I was asking of God, he kept his part. Was it because of the vow? No, that's not the way. Vows are like manipulation. And they look for moments to be able to, I know the Old Testament says you can have vows. And to have your vows and say your vows to the Lord. But they're not about manipulating. They're about sacrifice. They're about um, you you being faithful to God and witnessing God being faithful to you. OK, and it's just you participating in that faithfulness at the core. They're not manipulation. By Jesus's day, they were full on manipulation and they would change the terms and move the goalposts to try to get, you know, I'm not going to say my vow towards heaven because that would be breaking. But I'll say it towards Jerusalem. You know, the whole discourse Jesus had. here's what I did. I was in a really, really terrible situation. I just realized I just did a Donald Trump. I was, I was gesturing with a letter. O. Yeah, how's it going? I was in a horrible situation. OK, I had somebody in my life coming after me in the church, not this church, not the church I'm a part of, but he was a person in leadership and he was coming after me. He was the only other person in leadership and he was making my life a living hell. And I was afraid I wasn't physically afraid of this guy or anything like that, but I was afraid what was going to happen to my job, what was going to happen to my family. Were going to, you know, was the church going to. Die? Well, I didn't know what was
1: going on. And I had something in my life that I knew needed to stop. I had a sin that I cherished. And so I came to God with this. I'm not proud of this.
0: But again, you like listening to me for moments like this, where I'm not bragging about myself. I'm not the hero of my story. Beware people who are the hero of their own stories. When all they do is tell stories with their heroes. Enough of that. I came to God and said, God, I know this needs to stop. This sin that I'm cherishing, I need to knock it off. I'm putting that on the table, God. Never again. Never again will this sin be a part of my life.
1: Here it is. Please protect me. I don't know what that looks like. Please protect me. That was a weak moment for me. That was a
0: terrifying moment for me. What's different between that moment and Jephthah's moment?
1: I can see some faith in my moment. I don't see a lot of faith in that moment. But my goal was not to try to
0: manipulate God. My goal was broken. My goal was humble. And I was just at, at, at a ground zero that I didn't even know was coming. I was like tossing up whatever
1: half court basketball shot I could of faith. I didn't know what to think, but that's what I did. I'm not proud of that. I've kept my vow. It was like a vow. I I, I don't know if I
0: worded it like a vow. I kept it. There's something that is no
1: longer a part of my life. That was a part of my life. And God protected me. Was it because of the vow? Of
0: course not. That makes me, that makes God having me having something on God or manipulating God. No, 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 no. God's sovereign. I'm not. I understand the temptation to want to vow. I get it. I get that idea where it's like, okay, God, I don't really know what to do. And so I'm going to say this and I'm going to come through and I'm going to maybe hope that you'll come through. And yeah, um, but that's not Jephthah. Jephthah is, God's already come through. God's already said what's going to happen. And he still has to have this vow. But I, I just got, I just got to have, you know, I got to keep it real here because I had that moment where. In fear and desperation, I, I made a vow at God, and I like to think there's faith there, and that I was honoring God. And certainly, what I was what I was ceasing all oh, that was all honoring God. And, and, and built upon that vow was trust. I'm going to trust you. That's how I can go to sleep at night with my vow, is I trust God.
1: And really, the essence of it was trust. I mean, I've, people have been texting. I got to get on this here. Um,
0: uh susan texts in is it possible he did redeem the vow but his daughter remained an unmarried virgin all her life um i think the text said he did kill her um let's make sure um and it says in verse 39 and he did to her as he had vowed and that is um yeah so she she at least the text appears that she's dead so um but yeah, otherwise that might have been the way to do it. I said, well, I guess I have to stay a virgin or something, but and never marry, which is sad because then his his line ends at that point. He's done because remember, only child. Um, uh, Aaron texted. I've heard that theory as well that the translation is more like as burnt offering or just as a sacrifice to God. Yeah, he's yeah he's he's he offered a vow. His vow was rash, and. I like to think my vow wasn't rash. Was it necessary? No. In this biblical history with me, no. But it's just a pivotal moment of my life. And honestly, I just got to say this. When I had been tempted to bring that sin back into my life, that vow does come up. Like, oh, no, no. I don't know if this all matters or not, but you did give your word. And a man keeps his word. I'm just saying. I mean, it's just... It's just <sighs> It's like I'm living the the old testament text here. Okay. I'm just I trust God. And that's what I guess sets me apart. But from Jephthah here, because he's not trusting God. I just gotta let that go. But just I I can't teach about vows and have I won't get to sleep tonight. I'll have to like re-record it and say this. It's like I gotta talk about it because otherwise it's full on hypocrisy here. Like, don't, don't make these vows, but yet in my deepest, darkest moment I made a vow. Okay. And I don't, I don't, please don't this is not as a hey do as i say not as i do kind of thing no 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 no. i'm not the example here do not do as I. this is not a good example for you but i'm telling you this and but what i've learned through that is to trust god even more and we're really what it's all about is trusting god and just trust god to begin with you don't need to have a vow you don't need to do what i did or what jeff did just trust god there you go i just think i gotta say that (sighs) okay vows versus faith faith is faith the element of faith is trust The element of a vow really is manipulation because you don't really trust God to come through. So you got to try to pull one over to get what you're supposed to get. You know, for me, I thought I was asking a big thing of God. Like, well, God, I better give you a big thing. Is that the way to go about life? Of course not. Of course not. That's where I was. I was a pastor of a church. I studied the Bible, you know, most of my life. That's still where I was. Thank you for hearing that. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for letting me get that off my chest. I was a little bit more like Jephthah than I should have been. Shame on me, but I was also not like Jephthah and that I trusted God and I still trust God. And that still is the greatest quality of me, my trust in God. As I go through the crap that I go through in my life, as you go through yours, may you trust God. May that never stop. May it not take a vow to cement that in your life. Well, concluding confrontation here. Uh, Well, before I get there, uh, Mick texted, I do believe she was literally sacrificed. Uh, The primary source of the ambiguity is her lamenting that she would never marry instead of dying. But I think that's interpretive reaching. Yeah, the text is clear. He did what he vowed. He vowed he would kill, he would sacrifice. And he wasn't speaking with nuance like he was sacrificing her womb for example, that would be kind of weird, but he sacrificed. But, but I understand it's a fair question. We don't want to think that he killed his daughter, his one and only daughter, but that's what makes this story extra tragic. A concluding confrontation 12 1 to 7. The Ephraimite forces were called out and they crossed over to Zephon. They said to Jephthah, Why did you go to fight the Ammonites without calling us to go with you? We're going to burn down your house over your head. <laughs> Well then, that escalated quickly, my goodness. Um, yeah, it's like, we, its you could have been there, guys. Why weren't you there? What's your deal? Why didn't you show up to fight? Why were you Why were you messing around? You know, all of a sudden the battle is over. You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. So that was good stuff, guys. And boy, if only we could have been there, we'd have showed them too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, those Ephraimites, that's right, Mick. Well, there they are again. Jephthah answered. Okay, now Jephthah has a moment here. Okay. Gideon had one quality towards the end. Gideon had a diplomatic side of him that he was a little bit diplomatic with the Ephraimites. Okay. And, uh, but, 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 okay, so here we go. I and my people were engaged in a great struggle with the Ammonites. And although I called, you didn't save me out of their hands. When I saw that you wouldn't help, I took my life in my hands and crossed over to fight the Ammonites. And the Lord gave me victory over them. All right. These are actually good words, Jephthah. Well done. Because that's indeed exactly what
1: happened. Stupid. foul. all right. No, let's not go back there. Let's not go back there. Now, why have you come up today to fight me? Jephthah then
0: called together the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. These are his own people. The Gileadites struck them down because the Ephraimites had said, you Gileadites are renegades from Ephraim and Manasseh renegade is probably like you guys are a bunch of uh, can I use that word again ladies I'm sorry bastards it's like you you're like you're like half-breed you're like you're really not legitimate kids you guys and that would have just really really ticked off Gideon excuse me Jephthah who himself is not a legitimate child and it's like you guys you guys are like uh you know, sons of prostitutes, not really sons of the the wife of the husband. No, 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 you're you're sons of the other person. Yeah, that's who you guys are. So Gideon's like, oh, Gideon. There's so many connections here to Gideon. Jephthah is like, okay, well, the Gileadites captured the forge of the Jordan leading to Ephraim. And whenever a survivor of Ephraim said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead asked him, are you an Ephraimite? This is kind of cool. Okay, this is something that an original reader would have gotten. If they said no, they said, all right, say this magic
1: word, Shibboleth. If they said "Siboleth," because he could not pronounce the word
0: correctly, they seized him and killed him at the Forge of the Jordan. 42,000 Ephraimites were killed at that time.
1: Jephthah led Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in a town in Gilead. Yeah, he's, uh, there's that, that word again, that B word I use, and
0: illegitimate, he's more like Abimelech, that's right. Gideon wasn't, but, but his son Abimelech was. So we, we got connections here to Gideon and to Abimelech, not guys you want to be connected to. But, okay, so accusations and jealousies. Uh, Jephthah seems to have taken the curse that the Ephraimites give him quite seriously. The Ephraimites don't get involved in the battle, but now they want to fight Jephthah. Gee, that's nice. Um, and Jephthah's not like the, the more diplomatic Gideon, not at all. Um, yeah, uh, Jephthah actually had a chance to be a real leader here. He could have said, you know what, Ephraim? All right, fine, you guys weren't there. My bad, you're bad, whatever, we won. Let's just go home. See, that goes down to that blue text or unnecessary battles. It was a total unnecessary battle for the Ephraimites to come up to Gideon, or to, 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 to Gilead, excuse me, and come up to Jephthah, and, and just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. totally unnecessary. It was equally unnecessary for Jeff to turn right back around and give it right back to them. Say, all right, you know what? Off of their heads. I'm tired of these guys. We're all still bloody from this battle. And they're coming up here talking trash about the battle itself when they weren't even there. You know, and that's the reason why my, my dad and my brother told me to go to Hell, hell Week with the football team. Because you've got to sweat in August if you want to play in, in September. If you want to be part of this team and the football team, you've got to sweat in the, in the 100 degrees in August, you've got to sweat together. You've got to pound together. you, you got to have, have two-a-days and three-a-days. You can't give up on that. Then you're part of the team. It's like, Ephraim, you weren't even there. What are you doing? And they, they, you're right, Randy, they did threaten to kill him, but he could have just said, you know what? Just, just go pound sand. You know, go, go over there and just take it out on the earth for a while. Don't, don't, just get out of here. You know what? You're my people. You're wrong, but who cares? Just go away. He could have done that. He could have said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Calm down. We're all good. And we won. Let's just go have let's go have a barbecue or something." But
1: uh, yeah, he uh, he chose that way, and yeah, his, his tribal brothers rejected him. They're not considering him a leader even after he led them to a victory.
0: And uh, but just remember, God is not involved in this battle, is he? Israelite killing Israelite. We don't see God saying, that's right, Gideon, I'll take care of business. Gideon, I keep doing that. I got Gideon on my mind. Jephthah, Jephthah, go kill them. We're not seeing that at all. We're not seeing God
1: as like directly a part of this in any way. I don't know why. I have no idea why this text is the way it is. But I think that makes this extra special. Because it's presented this way for a reason. I don't think God looks
0: very good right now with this text. This doesn't make God look great. And that's why I think it's true. Because if if God came out and just really great in every scenario, like, oh, yeah, wow, look at this. Everything worked out. Wow. You hear someone's testimony like, oh, yes. And I, yes, I was on skid row and I did all this. But you know what? God did this. And look at me now. And everything seemed to work out great. And people are going, oh, that's nice. But, boy, everything doesn't work out great in my life. Man. It's, just, it's, it's So it's hard to hear when everything is just perfect in someone's life, even when they've gone through hard times. It's just hard to hear as you continue to struggle. Yeah, you're like, oh, I'm glad I want to celebrate with you. But at some point, it's like, okay, enough already.
1: <sighs> yeah. Well, it's lack of diplomacy, incompetence or ridicule, ignorance and confusion. Yeah, the... Um,
0: there's something about, in the Hebrew, the, two of the closing letters of the alphabet are, are seen and Sheen. And they look the same, except the dot over is on the complete opposite side. But you can't see the dot half the time. And so you don't know what you're, you're talking about here. So is it Siboleth or Shibboleth? This would be kind of like, uh, you can tell if somebody is from Chicago. How could you tell that? How could you tell if somebody's from Chicago? Let's just, let's just say here, I've got one for you ask them to say the word Chicago. Do they say Chicago? Do they say Chicago? I mean, there's somebody, I used to think this way where I used to live up in Wisconsin, have them say Wisconsin, Wisconsin. Is it Wisconsin? Never. It's always Wisconsin, something. You can tell where someone, give them a keyword to say and you can tell where they're from. You You might say, hey, would you say you guys, Would you say you guys or we say y'all? You know, it's like what you're going to say on that one is, uh, yeah. Have have someone say, hey, would you say you or y'all? Y'all? Okay, yeah, you're one of them. You could tell someone's from the South by the way they talk. You could tell someone's from the North. but For some reason, there was something about Ephraim that they had a lisp and they could not say a certain word right. And everybody knew it because it came right away. Yeah, have them say the magic word. I bet the ones they can't say it, you know where they're from because they can't fake it because they can't say it right. There you go. Um, yeah, we swallow our consonants. Norm, uh, yeah, Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Um, Everyone, you know, everyone's got people from Keokuk, Wisconsin's Kirk, the Bears versus Dub Bears. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we all have our accents, but there's something that would set us off almost immediately. I've never heard anybody say that we're Chicago like that. I have to, very, very vanilla wise. I am not from Chicago at all because the way I say Chicago. It's like somebody who's really like died in the wool Chicago will give you a full throaty Chicago or a Chicago or something like that. There's something about that you're going to see it. Other parts of this, they they wash the dishes or wash the dishes. You you get certain things, but that could be half the South. That doesn't have to be Chicago. So Sibboleth and Shibboleth, okay? That's just something to bring it home here. Like, well, that's kind of a weird way to do it. Yeah, but they could pick them out immediately because they all look the same because they're all Israelites. But they haven't talked, oh yes, say this. And you think they would get it, but they don't because they're idiots. The text is painting them as idiots. I'm not trying to be mean. It's they're painting them with ignorance and just like ridicule. And like, these are the guys opposing God's guy. And I hate to say that Jephthah's God's guy, but he technically is God's guy. God raised Jephthah up, as it were. Here it is. Even though the people hired him over. It was all in God's... uh, Actually, God didn't raise... It was was all the people. This is one more person. Where's God? Where's God in our text? We want God to be there. He's just not. uh, This is kind of... The unnecessary battles, let's scroll down here. Hurt people, hurt people. I don't know who came up with that quote, but it's a great quote.
1: The tragedy of this passage is that hurt people, hurt people. Get this. Jephthah, he came from a dysfunctional background.
0: He was an illegitimate son. He was born of a prostitute. He was rejected and disinherited by his family. He was the leader of a gang. He became a man who was hurt, angry, bitter, ambition driven, ready to fight, manipulative, ignorant of God's law, abusive of his daughter, lacking boundaries, contentious, emotionally reactionary, revengeful, and doing what is right in his own eyes for his own gain. And then he turns around and makes his daughter responsible. So he's a hurt person, now he's going to hurt somebody, blaming her for the disaster he would inflict upon her, and making himself the victim of his own rash vow. In many ways, this nameless daughter represents all the courageous daughters of abusive fathers. Jephthah performs on her the ultimate abuse. Killing one's own child was the worst form of murder. Hurt people, I was obviously reading a quote there. Hurt people hurt people. I see this all the time in, in, in biblical counseling. Someone's in a really bad spot, but they've been hurt. You can see their hurt play out in their life. Someone who has gone through really horrible things may do really horrible things and may see things repeating in their own life again. And there's something to be said for, you know what? This doesn't have to repeat. You can stop this chain. We can see a brand new generation in your family of this never happening again. Let's make some good choices now. Let's do the next right thing. Let's start building
1: upon that. Your story is not already written out by by your circumstances. Hurt people hurt people. How about the self-sacrifice of a child? Jephthah's callous sacrifice
0: of his daughter as a burnt offering has a parallel, doesn't it? The modern abortion of sons and daughters by a culture that, like Jephthah's, is driven by selfish ambition. Granted, none of the modern sacrifices to you know, the gods of, of Israel's neighbors, but the gods of this age are no less demanding. Having rejected the authority of scripture, our modern narcissistic society is utterly consumed with rights and has no place for the concept that humankind is created in the image of God and that from conception on, the human embryo
1: is made in that very image. Selfish sacrifice of a child. Look how consumed we are with that as a culture, all about certain rights. Jesus and Jephthah? Oh, this is going to hit home. There's a great contrast with Jephthah. It's the Lord Jesus himself. This is kind of coming from Isaiah 53. Jesus also, like Jephthah, was despised and rejected. Even those
0: in Jesus' own family thought he was crazy He received criticism from everybody, Pharisees, Sadducees, the religious rulers of his
1: day, even though he knew infinitely more about God and his word than any of them. Jesus, like part of Jephthah's life, was betrayed. He was
0: utterly abandoned. Jesus was crucified with common criminals,
1: even though there was no guile in him. Jephthah is a model that hurt people hurt people. Jesus is a model
0: that just because your life was dysfunctional at times, it doesn't mean you have to live that way. Jesus wasn't a victim seeker. He didn't have an easy life either, but he didn't make a victim out of himself. He instead, not a victim, but was a sacrifice. Rather than seeking to be uplifted and to be served, and to be recognized
1: as a victim, Jesus sought to serve, even to sacrifice himself to save. Jesus is both Jephthah and not Jephthah. Ah, Well, let's close out. Let's close out with the three minor judges. Kind of anticlimactic, but I, I had a choice. I could either end right here
0: and we begin the Samson story with these three minor judges, or we just do the three minor judges right
1: now. And we start with Samson next week. Let's do that. Ibsen. Ibsen,
0: Elon, and Abdon. There you go. After him, Ibsen of Bethlehem led Israel. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters. He gave his daughters away in marriage to those outside his clan. And for his sons, he brought in 30 young women as wives from outside his clan. Ibzan led Israel seven years. Then Ibzan died and was buried in Bethlehem. Um, We get a little detail. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters. Uh Uh-oh. There's only two judges in the book of Judges where it talks about daughters. And they're back to back. Jephthah, the one who killed his only daughter. And Ibzan, who have 30 of them. He's kind of also like the anti-Jephthah say like, oh yeah you, you you're one only child you killed well here i am I, I have so many children i don't know what to do with them let's give them all donkeys and marry them off to the people it's like just overflowing with children yeah um there's some deliberateness there uh this guy was um regal he, there's so many things about him that says king and even doing what kings do they marry off their daughters to you know secure power there's not much to say about Ibzan. The text doesn't say a lot, but it just kind of leaves a weird taste in the mouth, kind of like you know Jair did last week. And uh, can I scroll down here? I guess not. Let me move this up. There you go. Elon. After him, Elon the Zebulonite led Israel ten years. Then Elon died and was buried in Aihalon in the land of Zebulun. We know even less about Elon. In the Hebrew, um, the man's name and the man's town are basically the same word. So people like to think that he was an important guy because he got buried in the town he was named after. But oh, well, we know nothing about this guy other than that. Um, He's probably a great guy. Um, His name also could mean theoretically it could mean despot. So maybe he was a real jerk. I don't know. There's not much we know about this guy. And so we go on to Abdon. After him, Abdon, son of Hillel, from Pirathon, led Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons. Holy moly. That dude's getting his rule into the next generation and then the next generation. Dude has grandsons. Wow. Who rode on 70 donkeys. He led Israel eight years. So we're already thinking of Gideon with his 70, right? Okay, we're we're going there. Now, Joel, you can say Gideon. You've been wanting to say Gideon the whole time. Now we can go to Gideon. He led Israel eight years. Then Abdon, son of Hillel, died and was buried at Perathon Pir- and Ephraim in the hill country of the Amalekites. What? What kind of a judge were you? When you died, they bury you in enemy territory. That wouldn't sit right with the original reader. They would have gone, who? Wh-
1: what? Um, yeah, th- whose land is this? I mean, seriously. Um, yeah. Yeah, Randy said, and for now a palate cleaner. Yeah, that's right. This
0: is this is like the um, the sorbet or something in between courses at the at the, in the, the major judge meal or something. Here, let's have a couple minor judges. They're not much to write home about, but they get a couple of verses. Here we go. Yeah, you can't sire that many kids unless you're polygamous. You're right, Mick. These good judges still leave much to be desired. Correct. We got to end here. Um, Ibson Elon, Abdon. We're gonna go to 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 uh, samson next week samson is going to have the most unique birth arguably in the entire bible samson get ready for it we are going to expect samson to be something i mean the text next week is, is fantastic it is amazing the what god does i mean oh my goodness we're expecting samson to be creme de la creme and yeah and we'll see how that unfolds um yeah. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week with the, the Samson story.